0: Pharmaceutical Technology presents the Drug Solutions Podcast, where the editors will chat with industry experts from across the pharmaceutical and biopharmaceutical supply chain. Join us as experts share insights into your biggest questions, from the technologies to the strategies to regulations related to the development and manufacture of drug products. This is the Drug Solutions Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Drug Solutions Podcast. I'm Meg Rivers, Senior Editor for Pharmaceutical Technology, Pharmaceutical Technology Europe, and Biopharm International. Without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to the editors who will share more about what you can expect in this episode.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Chris Spivey, Editorial Director for Pharmaceutical Technology, Pharmaceutical Technology Europe, and Biopharm International. In today's Drug Solutions podcast, we'll be speaking with Mike Kopsher, Director of FDA's Office of Pharmaceutical Quality, alongside Cindy Burse and Larry Lee, his deputy directors. Topics covered will include advanced manufacturing, quality as a core business metric, life in FDA during the pandemic maelstrom, and what motivates people at the FDA to perform at the top of their game.
0: Before we begin, I'd like to thank the sponsor of this episode, Samsung Biologics. Samsung Biologics is a fully integrated CDMO offering end-to-end contract development, manufacturing, and laboratory testing services. Now, without further ado, let's jump into the interview.
1: Good afternoon, everybody. Lovely to meet you. Um, If you take 30 to 60 seconds, just tell uh, a little about your background and sort of why you joined the FDA and uh, how that background has affected your perspective within the FDA.
2: Sure. So I guess, uh, Chris, I can I can kind of kick things off. Uh, I'm Mike Kopcha. I'm the director for the Office of Pharmaceutical Quality. I've been in this role now for probably about six and a half years. Uh, So kind of give you a little understanding of my background and what attracted me to this job is that uh, I worked in the pharmaceutical industry uh, my entire career prior to coming into the FDA. So I've been in the industry now for probably uh, a little over 30 years. Uh, and the last six and a half years, obviously, I've been with the Office of Pharmaceutical Quality, uh, which resides within the Center for Drug Evaluation and Research, which falls within uh, the um, uh, agency of the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. So kind of what brought me to the job was was the job description itself. When I was approached about the job, you know, obviously, the first thing you look at are the details and the specifics of the job. As I read through that, I realized that this job really had my name written all over it and and that's you know you know the, the um, you know, what attracted me to the job, it really allows me the opportunity to make use of all the things I've learned over the 30 years that I've been in the industry uh, and be able to apply that uh, to the mission of the FDA and to the mission of what Cedar is, just to make sure that to uh, consumers and patients that we really do bring quality drugs and have quality drugs on the market uh, to meet the needs of those patients and consumers. Uh, it allows me to use uh, basically all of the things that i've learned from uh, you know undergraduate to graduate school and throughout my career um, because you really get involved in a lot of different things a lot of different areas uh, whereas when I was in the industry it was very focused uh, you know in specific areas to where the job you know where where you know uh, the way the job was uh, designed and organized coming to the FDA. You really get involved and see a lot more than you could uh, working in any one particular company and taking what you've learned and having those experiences and then applying them again to ensure that we have quality drugs on the market. Now, in, in cricketing
1: terms, which our audience won't understand, that's a, an all rounder. Uh, uh, <laughs> yes. So uh, we have two other uh, FDA guests today, so I'll let them introduce themselves in the same manner. Uh, Cindy, would you like to
3: go first? Sure, I'll go first. Um, So some of what Mike said resonates with me. I've been with the agency 21 years, so I was a lot younger when I came here, but I also had been in industry for 14 years. So I had that experience in, in industry before coming to the agency as well. And, but it was once again, Janet Woodcock, woman, running a center. It was, at the time, the predecessor to OPQ, Office of Pharmaceutical Scientist, was led by a woman as well. So it's really an opportunity to come to an organization where you could see opportunities for women, which was not true in industry, I would say, especially the two companies that I, I was working at. So uh, that's really attractive to me. And I really like the mission as well, public health you know, versus money. <laughs> there was a lot of uh, you know bottom line you know, get the back orders out, et cetera, in industry. You can imagine, um, you know, because they have to report to their stock. You know, their, uh, you know, the people who, uh, who hold their stock. So, so for me, coming to the agency was really an opportunity to change the reason I was working, and also to come to an organization that I think valued me as a woman.
1: The pressure is on you, Larry. That is two unanticipated great answers. So, uh, Larry.
4: Go next. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm the WD Director of Science for Office of Pharmaceutical Quality. Uh, a little bit different from Mike and Cindy. I actually joined FDA directly from uh, graduate school. Mm-hmm. Uh, like To be to be honest, I think uh, the FDA was not my first choice because I want to be a formulator in the industry. But mm-hmm. at, at, at the end, I think uh, once I, uh, see, I saw all the offer on the table. I think one thing like really attracted me about the FDA is really the mission, right? I mean, for me to work in the industry, definitely, I think I can get more money, but I think the impact mm-hmm. I'm going to make uh, by working in FDA, I think is something that really attracts me. And then I actually went through an interview with a couple of people in FDA. Uh, they really talked about like, how, how meaningful the work they are doing and, and the fact that, um, I know even is a little bit lower salary at that time when I compared to other offers, but really I think the people and the, the mission is more attractive to me. Uh, so I think that's one of the reasons uh, um, I chose the FDA uh, to, be, to begin with. Uh, although I still think like, uh, like when I first first two years when after I joined the FTA, I think I would go back to the industry, but I think I things just keep more interested, become more interesting, and then we I encounter a different type of a problem I need to solve. So I think uh, now I stay here for more than 15 years.
1: Three for three, they're all fascinating answers. I wish actually we had longer. Uh, we could do a part A, part B, part three, whatever later on, hopefully. But um, So we'll, uh, moving now, uh, a few minutes to discuss or to introduce to some of the audience sort of your take on sort of three of the main pillars that I picked out. Um, so I guess, Mike, if you could begin with your sort of take or appraisal on the Emerging Technology Program.
2: The Emerging Technology Program was in place prior to me coming to the FDA. Uh, uh, Larry uh, and one of the reasons why he's here is to talk more specifically about that because he was instrumental along with Dr. Woodcock, who was the center director of Cedar at the time to really establish that. But the um, emerging technology group is really to uh, uh, take a look at advanced manufacturing and provide a venue for companies to come in and talk with us about these uh, new technologies that they'd like to apply uh, to to the products that they're going to bring to market Uh, technologies that are not commonly used in the industry or at least in the pharmaceutical industry right now so um, you know there's a a lot of work that's been done to be able to uh, um, you know define how the industry comes in and talks to us of the things that we'll share w- with each other, and then how we actually uh, uh, help those companies or at least guide them in terms of making their submissions, their regulatory submissions into the FDA with that technology. It also provides us the opportunity to get a better understanding of their technology so when that application does come in, at least reversed in what it is that they were uh, you know, talking about and, and being introduced to that technology. It also allows us to talk about some of the potential hurdles that may exist uh, as companies think about these technologies because we regulate those technologies as well and uh, companies are really interested in terms of the things they need to do to make a complete submission so this way the uh, application can be approved as quickly as possible but what i'd like to do chris is to give uh, larry who really understands more of the details and was involved in really establishing that program early on um so if you don't mind i'll I'll turn it over to him and allow him maybe to give some more of that detail uh, for you and your listeners yeah, it sounds awesome. Go ahead, Larry. Yeah, thank you, Mike. I think as like Mike and I get together and sit together,
4: we can talk about the advanced manufacturing for a whole day. Uh, but I think this <laughs> is really an important program because we recognize the importance of uh, advanced manufacturing in uh, ensuring drug quality and drug supply, especially, I think, become uh, very obvious during this uh, COVID-19. Uh, so that is one of the reasons why we established this a uh, dedicated pro that this a uh, program dedicated to help and work closely with industry uh, to advance uh, the use of uh, advanced manufacturing in pharmaceutical manufacturing. So at this moment, we actually held more than 150 meetings with the program participants, wow. which are led to approvals of uh, 15 applications with uh, advanced manufacturing technology. I also want to point out that this type of uh, technology is a disruptive technology. It's really different from how they operate before. And because uh, the program is quite successful, we anticipate more work under this program. Uh, We are currently doing a program enhancement, the so-called ETP 2.0 or Emerging Technology Program 2.0 to really improve our strategy and operation in order to meet the increasing workload in the near future. And also other centers at the FDA also have a program for advanced manufacturing like our CBER colleague, also currently, we are parlor, par, partnering with CBER uh, to form a center for the advancement of manufacturing pharmaceuticals and biopharmaceuticals. We need to help to coordinate the effort across, across these two centers on, uh, in this uh, important advanced manufacturing area. And then certainly we we also have a very strong uh, research program to support, uh, to generate a knowledge to support uh, the evaluation of uh, assessment of this new technology under the emerging technology program and also provide the training to make sure our staff is going to be ready when the technologies uh, come in. And finally, we, we also like work with uh, uh, international uh, regulators through our ICH to really try to harmonize our global regulatory standards for the technologies like continuous manufacturing and viral safety of biotechnology technology products.
1: It's great, I'm a huge fan. Uh, the NIST uh, advanced technology program understanding of Bramwitz had a ridiculously successful track record in biotech back in the day. So I'm a huge fan of exactly what you're doing. Is there a technology in particular you'd like to call out as being uh, surprising to you or successful in a way you hadn't anticipated or just in, in a way that you think the audience might find fun or interesting to hear about?
4: Okay. Yeah, I I I think so. I think like the one one of the technology uh, is really about the continuous manufacturing. I think like a couple of years ago, like we will never imagined uh, 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 we are going to use uh, this type of a technology in pharmaceutical manufacturing. But after working like so long for so many years, and um um, we really be able to see this happening because I think uh, we have seen that the uh, company actually be able to successfully develop and implement this type of uh, technologies in the commercial setting, which I think, uh, like if you ask us, like ten years ago, we do not, uh, we did not think this will happen. But right now, with all the effort we put in, um, definitely, I think this seems to me, uh, hopefully, uh, seems uh, like attract a lot of attention, uh, and hopefully, this uh, will continue to grow. Um, in this area but i also want to emphasize that continued manufacturing is not like like advanced manufacturing is uh, contain more than just uh uh continuous manufacturing so i think i also will let mike uh to chime in a little bit about this uh about this one
2: one of the things chris that, that that i wanted to add on uh to what larry had said is that the reason why we're so interested in advanced technology is because the manufacturing uh, sciences hasn't really evolved within the pharmaceutical industry. It's evolved in other industries. Uh, On the pharmaceutical side, it's been slow to happen. And one of the reasons why that's been slow to happen or or to be adopted by the industry itself is because they are concerned about the regulations or or lack thereof, or at least the perceived lack thereof, uh, of these regulations. So one of the things we needed to address very early on is the regulatory framework in which we were going to be able to look at and evaluate and critique the advanced technologies that companies were very much interested in. So in order to do that, we had to put in place what, and and the acronym we use is called FRAME, F-R-A-M-E. And as you had mentioned, stands for a framework for advanced manufacturing evaluation. And the reason for that was to provide clarity and reduce uncertainty for products manufactured with these advanced technologies, so you know, while it's always nice to talk about the technologies, we are regulators, so we need to uh, uh, you know regulate those those technologies, and we also need to share that and be very transparent with how we're doing that with the industry, so they know what to uh, expect, because you know they they had trepidation about well you know this is an unknown area to the FDA so you know let's stick with the tried and true and that really became a, a, at least a hindrance in our minds to bringing these technologies to fruition within the industry so we we put these uh we, we put frame in place and what it's uh is doing or what we plan on doing with this is to address current as well as potentially future manufacturing innovations And what we've done is first thing or one of the things we needed to do chris was to be able to understand what are the technologies that the industry is very much interested in going forward so we we actually worked with uh, nasa which is the uh, national academies of science engineering and medicine Uh, they held a a public workshop uh, brought in industry and experts within this area to be able to talk with us about what was going on uh, in the industry, what's on the horizon over the next five to 10 years uh, with these technologies. So we actually identified a number of technologies. I can list at least some of the more um, uh, significant ones that we were looking at. Uh, One is uh, called end-to-end manufacturing. The other is distributed manufacturing. We have point of care manufacturing as the name implies doing manufacturing right at the point of care where the patient or consumer actually is and then artificial intelligence. So, you know, in in order to understand what the regulatory frameworks look like we needed to know what those technologies were so this. Uh, 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 meeting that we held with the National Academy of Science uh, actually highlighted those technologies They came from the industry, so we knew what what, what we were going to be asked to, uh, to to evaluate and eventually regulate. So what we've done is we've taken a phased approach to frame The first was to uh, assess the existing guidances that we have in place, um, as well as statutes to see if we could apply those to these new technologies, just because it's a new technology doesn't necessarily mean our current regulations or statutes would not cover that so we took a look at that. The second part that we've done that is is to be able to conduct an in-depth analysis to make preliminary recommendations for the regulatory framework for those advanced technologies where our current regulations do not apply. So we've uh, done those two pieces. The third piece, which is where we are now, is in the phase of increasing our public outreach. Because we don't want to develop this stuff in a vacuum or these regulations in a vacuum. We need to partner with the industry, understand what their concerns are. Because uh, let's face it, they're the ones that are going to be submitting uh, applications with these new technologies, get their input early on as we continue to develop this framework, uh, because we need to be able to do that uh, effectively within the industry. In order to do that, obviously, we need to partner with the industry and understand what their concerns are. So that's where we are right now. And then once we get that, we'll begin to, to uh, uh, you know, draft uh, these regulations and then start to implement them. Uh, again, once we have this input, uh, so this is a continual process. Again, it's a phased approach. Uh, so right now we're, we're uh, approaching uh, the industry and going to be asking for them to come talk to us in a public forum and share what their concerns are as we continue to evolve this this framework around regulatory guidances and statutes.
1: Awesome. Yeah. I, at the excipient meeting, uh, FDA got a lot of credit for the novel excipient pilot program. Yes. Yeah. Um, Cindy, would you like to comment on frame? No,
3: but I can talk about quality management maturity. <laughs> if you'd like to move on to <laughs>
1: yes, that. Yes, that's a good segue. Yes, of course. Actually, I'll, I'll, pre- I'll preface it. I just wrote a, a, an article for Bay on data integrity and was stunned to find myself writing on the quality management maturity ratings because You'd had a uh, drug shortage report. The second recommendation, the updated recommendation was, oh, quality management maturity ratings might be a great idea to hold them accountable in the same way I think as that food pyramid kind of thing so go ahead.
3: Exactly, you're exactly right. The quality management maturity initiative really came right out of that drug shortage report, enduring salute one of the enduring potential enduring solutions for drug shortage. And so we really wanted a way to incentivize those manufacturers who really invest in their quality management systems, you know, versus just, you know, meeting, meeting GMPs, right? Yeah. And certainly, you know, we look at quality management maturity as a state attained when drug manufacturers have consistent, reliable, and robust business processes to achieve quality objectives and promote continual improvement. And so I think that's the key Key words here are the you know business processes and continual improvement. It's not about the product. We already know the product is of high quality because it's being made under CGMPs, you know with inspections and assessments and everything that the FDA does. So QMM is really about the business processes and uh, and rewarding those manufacturers who have these robust processes. And why do we want these processes? Because if you have robust business processes and you really understand your supply chain, You have risk management plans, you have continuous improvement plans in place, so you can really end up um, making sure that your particular product doesn't end up in shortage because you've really um, thought about um, what can affect your your product, and affect the supply of of your product. So, of course, it's it's easy to say, but harder to come up with a program, and so I definitely wanted to, to let you know that we've been really working hard with our stakeholders to talk about Um, how we can develop a quality management maturity program. And so we've had two pilots this year, um, an international pilot and a domestic pilot, and, you know, kind of listening to what um, manufacturers have to say about quality management maturity, and also working with two different contractors who had two different potential visions of QMM. So it gives us a chance to really, you know, consider what works, what doesn't work, et cetera, as we try to develop our own program. Um, And with that, we've also just recently released a white paper, which uh, kind of outlines our current thinking on the topic. And we also plan a workshop in this month, later this month, to once again kind of let people know what we've learned so far and also ask for, you know, their input, their questions about what, uh, you know, direction they think we should go and uh, and what we need to inform, uh, else we need to inform our rating system. So certainly there's similar programs around CDR Edge has a similar program. You know, it's not just an FDA idea. There's other industries that have quality management maturity, and so I think that those are definitely places where we can learn as well and try to pull in what other people have, have have you know, have thought about already. We did do a LinkedIn poll and asked, do you believe that quality management maturity info will improve decision-making in the pharmaceutical supply chain? And... Uh, And we got 97% that said yes. So I think that's a very strong indication of the importance of this. There's a lot of stakeholders here. It's not just the pharmaceutical industry. It's not just FDA. But hopefully if the program's successful, um, buyers, um, everybody along the supply chain, purchasers, et cetera, can use these type of ratings to help them make informed decisions about the way um, a company approaches their business processes.
1: Excellent. Did many people uh, reply to that poll? Whenever I've tried a poll on LinkedIn, it just gets ignored, kind of thing. So when the FDA does a poll, people are like, "Oh, I'll, I'll pay attention to this one." I guess they must.
3: Yes, yeah. and we get. We've done a, quite a few polls. Um, learned some things. Um, we had about a for this one. We had about a hundred people answer. We hope to. Um, you know, also do a little polling at our workshop too. So maybe we'll get some additional. I think we have uh, over two thousand people registered so far. Later in May, so hopefully we'll get some more input as well from people.
1: Now you're doing well. It's 98 more than me. But when I try to sum up the pandemic um, in January, uh, you know, from my perspective, communication, 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 and FDA. Do you receive a lot of the credit because the people that I talk to say? we're so glad the regulatory bodies were so communicative during this time period and and put their bodies on the line in the sense of staying up late at night and attending early morning meetings. Do you get that feedback or people are like, well, you don't get much feedback. You know, people are reluctant to be personal or or how does that work? How does that play out?
3: Well, we certainly recognize that communication is um, very important. Um, you know, our OPQ has their own communication associate director also on the line, Adam Fisher. You make sure that we're constantly communicating, especially in a new program, whether it's QMM, whether it's frame, whether it's, um, you know, the ETT program. We find that we have to communicate it out there multiple different ways, multiple different platforms, and constantly try to um, emphasize our message to make sure we're really reaching everybody because uh, people that we service in addition to the, the public, all the manufacturers, are diverse group, generics, new, over-the-counter. These are all different groups, even excipients, ex- ex- you know, you probably found in your meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a vested interest in what we do, right, as well. And they all kind of sometimes need a little bit of a different message. So I think it's, uh, <laughs> we're constantly thinking about new ways to do things. Um, you know, we did this pilot to really get into what manufacturers were thinking. Um, we're to do this workshop, opening up to a wider group of people. We've done a lot of communication um, with people along the pharmaceutical supply chain. We've talked to people like the, the VA, um, we've talked to pharmacies, we've talked to, you know, Amazon, you know, big people who are, who are potentially looking at getting into the pharmaceutical area, Really seeing what they think about, what do they look for when they buy product, things like that. So we've done a lot, you know, trying to, it's a constant, it's a constant job to communicate. So as I'm sure you know,
1: Yeah, I don't normally link the word garrulous with the FDA, but you guys have been. You really have. I'm I'm very impressed. So, uh, unless anyone has another comment to add or go into a next section, which is uh, I was planning on a podcast about reshoring uh, manufacturing to the US, and the pandemic had sort of thrown that up. And just before the podcast, a land war broke out in Europe of all unimaginable. Thanks. So uh, of the participants, Frederick Kahn in particular of Wavelength Pharmaceuticals uh, talked about quality and economics as being sort of codependent variables of each other in the manufacturing setting. And I wondered if you could each sort of just have a a stab at uh, how you you respond to that or how you you see that.
2: Sure. So I I, I can uh, take the first shot at that. Chris, um, I, I can't necessarily speak for Frederick. You know, in terms of you know why you know you know how he sees that, I can only you know, you know speak for myself and kind of what I take away from that. Mm-hmm. But we need to have a quality-minded organization uh, to run effectively and efficient, efficiently to deliver on the ultimate goal of quality products to patients and consumers. So we need to make sure that that's first and foremost. One of my um, uh, quotes that that I have on my uh, Twitter account is that uh, quality product, uh, um, qu- quality product to patients and consumers. or Quality is remembered long after price is forgotten. So you know you've got to keep in mind that, you know, that quality piece is important. Uh, you know, people look at price and things like that, but that's soon forgotten. It's the quality that people will remember. Uh, and, and that's why it's important to make sure we drive towards that piece. So, um, you know, uh, while the economics are important, you know, people need to afford the drugs and things uh, along those lines, it's the quality piece that people will always remember. So quality in medicine is assuring that every dose is safe and effective and free of contaminants and defects. Uh, so for me, that's extremely important and paramount. That, that, that people understand, um, you know, why quality is important, especially when you're taking these medications. So um, you know, I, I want to drive that uh, point home. It also one of the ways I define Chris quality is that what it's, it's what gives consumers and uh, patients confidence in their next dose. So it's the reproducibility of that of that dose that you're taking. Um, and the way to do that is to ensure that you have quality of the product itself. So um, you know, it's impossible for any business to be successful if there is no confidence in your product. So, um, you know, quality needs to be a piece of that if companies want to be viable and, you know, be able to, as, as we talked about earlier, to be able to give back to their shareholders for investing in their companies. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll leave it there. And I'll give, uh, you know, uh, the others an opportunity to kind of add on to that. I'll be staggered
1: if they can uh, top uh, confidence in your next dose. But that's, that's awesome. What a fantastic way to look at it. <laughs> so, so go ahead, and try.
3: <laughs> I just want to mention that, um, you know, we've done a lot of research in quality and what drives quality product, what drives quality processes within an organization. We've done research with the University of St. Gallen and done in Bradstreet. And they've shown that good quality culture and good quality metrics, uh, perform, you know, really leads to better business performance over time. And your fundamental ability to deliver product. That's why things like quality culture and quality metrics are important part of quality management maturity. Um, so those are two aspects that we're trying to weave into our new program. We've also done some work with um, a financial risk as- expert from the University of Maryland, and he recently published um, an article on continuous manufacturing and he found that actually investment in continuous manufacturing in the U.S. was actually advantageous for both branded and generic firms when compared with batch processing in foreign foreign countries. So that you know the advantages, environmental advantages, the manufacturing advantages, the advantages with uh, with with lower labor that come with continuous manufacturing all make bringing um, pharmaceutical manufacturing back to the U.S. you know. A bit to an advantage, so so that's an interesting article that you might want to pick up and read if you haven't done that already.
1: And to your point, Mike uh, Frederick's point of view, twice echoed yours in the sense that the recall of inferior quality products cost both consumers uh, for shortages, but also in in your aphorism in terms of confidence in the next dose. So you know you score twice for that question i guess (laughs) thanks
2: it's always good to have supporters out there
1: yeah so the other participant in that uh podcast uh fernando musia Rutgers, uh emphasized that uh advanced manufacturing was a key to reshoring uh to the us and pointed to eric edwards of flow uh as being able to potentially make sort of more affordable insulin in the US. Uh, Would you like to make a comment on uh, you just have to some degree advanced versus batch manufacturing?
4: Yeah, I can start first for this question. Uh, First of all, I I do want to point out that uh, continuous manufacturing is one approach uh, for advanced manufacturing, but it's really promising uh, in my opinion. Uh, As mentioned by Cindy, there can be a certain advantage of continuous manufacturing. And now we have experience in evaluating and approving this type of technology within FDA. Like for example, there can be a scale up uh, advantage uh, by like right now in comparison to batch, we simply need to just run the process longer rather than uh, increase the uh, equipment size. And also the equipment footprint is much smaller And then together, this really gives us the flexibility and agility. Uh, For example, the small equipment really allow us to move the manufacturing facility easier and also to help bring uh, manufacturing back to the United United States, as you can imagine. I do want to point out that sometimes there is a confusion and misunderstanding on continuous manufacturing, especially, in for some people in the industry. Mm. I want to emphasize that continuous manufacturing is not necessary end-to-end, meaning that we do not need to have a continuous uh, process from just substance synthesis all the way to finished dosage form manufacturing. In fact, I mean, uh, depending on the business need, uh, continuous manufacturing technology can be used together with the batch manufacturing technology to really form a more reliable and efficient uh, processes. And we call this type of uh, approach as a hybrid continuous manufacturing approach. And I also want to bring up that, uh, even though there are some analyses done in the literature as mentioned by uh, Cindy, showing that continuous manufacturing can save the production costs in the long run. A lot of companies, still think that is a major regulatory hurdles to get approval from FDA. However, I do want to point out that we just published a paper on continuous manufacturing showing no substantial regulatory barriers identified for continuous manufacturing application related to manufacturing process changes or pre-approval inspections and This is a really important, continuous manufacturing applicants actually have relatively shorter times to approval and market as compared to similar batch applications. So this is very important message because this also point to the fact that our emerging technology program is working because we offer early engagement opportunity for the firm to come here to engage with us so that during the uh, application review, we already know a lot of the issues. So this really facilitates the approval of this type of uh, technology, even though it's more complicated than the typical batch manufacturing because we have not encountered this type of a technology before. And then the second thing is that, show people this is reality. I mean, a continuous manufacturing is not something theoretical or fancy technology. Uh, which may not happen. Like, actually, it's really happening right
1: now. In particular, the pandemic was such a
2: strange time for everybody.
1: How, how, how did it feel inside the FDA?
2: Well, the pandemic, you know, wh- one of the things we needed uh, to do very early on, and we realized very early on, you know, it was new to all of us. This is not something that, that we've experienced, not only us, but, you know, the industry, everybody in your daily lives, no matter how you um, or, or where you look, it was uh, new and challenging to many individuals. One of the things we really needed to do and one of the things that we did do um, was to come together as a strong team. Uh, it, you know, it takes a village to be able to work through these things. Um, one of the things that, that I didn't mention earlier on, Chris, that brought me to, to Cedar specifically um, is because, and, and again, this was under the um uh, direction of Dr. Woodcock, a very open-minded, innovative individual, you know, strong leadership skills and things along those lines. So that's very attractive for me uh, when when I look for somebody that I want to work with, uh, work with as well as report to. Um, but we realized we needed to bring the team together, which which we did, not only us, but all of CEDAR. Um, and what happened then is that Dr. Woodcock then transitioned over to to do some work at the White House. Then Dr. Cavazzoni uh, stepped in uh, both as the interim center director and now is the permanent uh, center director, but really driving that teamwork, bringing people together and tapping into the expertise that we have. And, and I've got to tell you, Chris, there is nothing when we come together as an organization and are focused on a problem, there's nothing we can't do. Some of the talent that I've seen has been some of the best in the industry. Um, I've worked at a number of different companies, but when you have that kind of talent uh, available to you, you know you can solve these problems, solve them quickly. Yeah, we had some hiccups, we had some bumps in the road and things like that as we felt our way through it, but people just were so resilient. They put in the extra time. They were so dedicated to that vision and mission of CEDAR and the FDA that they would do whatever it took to be able to be successful. And um, it was remarkable for me Want to be a part of that, and secondly, to really see how a, a team can coalesce. You're talking somewhere around you know 6,000 individuals, Chris, coming together to make all of this happen. Um, you need strong leadership, which we have, uh, to be able to make that happen, and you have the de- dedicated talent and knowledge base to be able to really drive to be successful. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. That was kind of my um, you know uh, overview of of what I saw coming into this pandemic and working through it.
1: Yeah, awesome. The energy you guys have brought to this podcast, for example, is is emblematic of the fact that you guys are in unison, work as a team and have a shared goal. You you can't kind of fake that very easily. Uh, I just
3: wanted to add on to what Mike said, if I could, just mm -hmm. really, you know, I've been focused um, a lot on um, post-approval activities, surveillance activities, including testing and inspections, etc., and what Mike says goes beyond Cedar. We've really worked hard to coordinate and, cl- and collaborate with the Office of Regulatory Affairs, ORA, to make sure we can develop new ways to do uh, assessments of facilities that you can't, we couldn't travel for so many years. We have to still approve applications. Um, we had to figure out how to navigate this new kind of supply chain issues that are occurring because of the pandemic. And we certainly recognize that supply chain resilience is really key to avoid drug shortage. And that also involved working with our international partners. So even beyond FDA, we have a lot of efforts going on with um, ICH, with ICMRA, with Pixess, you know, all these international regulatory organizations, and some of them in, include the pharmaceutical industry as well, to try to see where we can um, reduce barriers to global marketing. And how we can really help uh, improve the supply of drugs across the world. So I just wanted to mention that it's really has you know the pandemic has really shown how we can all work together, you know, in Ceder, in FDA, and even around the world when it comes to all our regulators.
1: Excellent points. I'm actually going to do a series of articles January next year of uh, uh, ICH uh, updates, looking back from the same people that helped write those opinions. So uh, I, that strikes a chord with me. Um, so Larry, uh, I liked your point about uh, continuous or advanced being no more burdensome in a regulatory sense than batch manufacturing. So as a parting thought, each of you, is there any other thing in the FDA people would be surprised and pleased to hear about or, or don't currently think of the FDA now, but you kind of wish they would think of the FDA in that way? So I'll, I'll start with you, uh, Cindy, since you're, you're still on screen.
3: I think, you know, my, my main points really are about um, supply chain resilience, I'm really trying to understand where drugs are coming from and, and how we can strengthen those supply chains and uh, and that the, the agency is really focused on that as well as just approving drugs, et cetera. So we're really trying to look at the big picture of, you know, making sure that those quality drugs reach the patient, as Mike mentioned. And there's more to it than just approving drugs. There's a lot of post-approval activities that the agency, especially OPQ, really focuses on. And I think people don't necessarily realize that.
1: Yeah, I was impressed Dr. Throckmorton was pointing out drug shortages in a couple of presentations a few years back. So yeah, I applaud that. Larry, we'll we'll go to you next.
4: Yeah, the things I want to point out is that um, we actually are very innovative. I mean, uh, that shows that during the uh, COVID, uh, we are not the regulator, just follow the guidance and things we respond as needed and we perform really well during the COVID and also I think uh, uh, based on the thing we, uh, uh, our effort in the advanced manufacturing. So you can see we are actually very innovative and very flexible in terms of uh, uh, depending on the external, uh, depending on the situation. So I think uh, my message is that don't be scared to try a new approach uh, with FDA. (laughs) <laughs> and definitely the, guys, the industry folks that like, can meet with us and then we can work together to make something happen, make something good happen. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. Garrulous and innovative FDA actually would be a good title for Pakistan. I actually agree with you totally. And so, Mike, we'll leave you with the radio broadcaster voice the last the last words.
2: <laughs> sure, I appreciate that, Chris. Um, so for me, I, I guess what I'd kind of leave as, as, as an enduring message is that we really do need to advance manufacturing sciences within the pharmaceutical industry uh, because 60% or, or maybe even slightly over 60% of, uh, of uh, recalls are because of quality related issues. And one of the ways to address uh, uh, poor quality is to really start start advancing the manufacturing science in the pharmaceutical industry, as we've seen in other industries, um, because it is the technology, it's the um, Uh, you know, the um, old technologies, the old ways of manufacturing that are causing some of these repeat quality issues. So we need to move beyond that. Uh, Quality should not be an afterthought. You can't, you know, you you need to start out with a quality mindset from the beginning. Um, You can't test it into your products. You've got to build it into what you do from inception all the way through to the end of that, you know, the development of of that product. And even after it's marketed uh, uh, to the patients or consumers, Uh, you need to keep that in mind. Um, And you also need uh, kind of the the last thing I want to just mention is that companies, organizations uh, or sponsors that submit their applications need to have a quality, a strong quality culture built into their organization. It's not something you just put a poster around and say, look, you know, we're quality uh, minded, uh, you know, organization. No, it's really got to start from the top from the CEO, and it's got to be driven all the way down throughout the organization. And then you'll begin to see the changes, uh, you know, to, to to, to you know, uh, you know, move up the quality management maturity uh, 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 standard for that particular company. So it's something that's gonna take time, but it's gotta start from the top and it's really gotta be built into that culture. So I'll kind of leave it at that as my parting words, Chris.
1: Uh, awesome, Larry, Cindy, Mike, I thoroughly enjoyed my time with you today and I'm, I'm impressed with the work you do and I support you in your next steps So fantastic. Thank you for spending the time with us today.
0: Thank you to our editors and experts for sharing their insight. Stay tuned for future episodes of the Drug Solutions podcast with the Pharmaceutical Technology editors. If you want to stay in touch with the Pharmaceutical Technology team, subscribe to this podcast, as well as to our newsletters. When you sign up for our e-newsletters, you will be updated about future episodes of Drug Solutions, receive our magazines, learn about upcoming webinars, and hear about episodes of Drug Digest, which is a video series. Thank you to everyone for joining us for this episode of the drug solutions podcast. We will see you next time.